Hey there, thanks for listening. Before we jump into this episode, I just want to remind you that this episode is brought to you by us over at TalkPython Training and Brian through his PyTest book. So if you want to get hands-on and learn something with Python, be sure to consider our courses over at TalkPython Training. Visit them via pythonbytes.fm slash courses. And if you're looking to do testing and get better with PyTest, check out Brian's book at pythonbytes.fm slash PyTest. Enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to Python Bytes, where we deliver Python news and headlines directly to your earbuds. This is episode 253, recorded October 6th, 2021. I'm Brian Aachen. I'm Michael Kennedy. Yeah, my name's Fiat. This is me. So welcome. Um, hey, before we jump into some of our topics, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, sure, of course. Uh, first of all, I'm super excited to be here. A little bit nervous because it's my first podcast ever. And I'm very happy to be on Python Bytes. It's the podcast I've been listening to, I think, for the last five years, about the same time I got into Python. Um, so right now, I'm, I started, like recently, a month ago, I started working uh, at a new company, cybersecurity company called Cytobenito. Um, they're doing some cool stuff, um, automated network perimeter security for Fortune 500 companies. Um, very interesting uh, approach. Uh, what I do there is I'm an infrastructure and internal tools uh, developer and Python, of course. And I've been doing Python for the last six years um, as a developer, as a backend developer, as an automation developer. I actually started my career as a QA engineer. I didn't have any background, coding background, so I kind of learned the Python on the job, starting from little scripts and snippets, and then I got into PyTest and uh, automation. And at some point, I just uh, switched to, yeah, full-time developer, but still, like, testing is something very precious to me. I'm very invested in it, so, yeah. Kind of important to me, too. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Yeah, awesome. I had, so, and I had a welcome. feeling. Thank you. <laughs> well, Michael, let's kick it off with some awesomeness. Yeah, I love awesome things. So let's kick it off with awesome HTMX. So we've covered many awesome lists. And one of the hottest technologies in the Python space these days, and at least with the web, is over at htmx.org. A really cool way to basically create apps that you would normally create with Vue or React, but just do it all in Python and mostly on the server, which is really cool. So uh, let's see, make sure I get the name right here. Raghashargar, um, probably messed it up, sorry. But put together this list, thank you, for keeping track of all the things that are awesome that have to do with HTMX. So if you look down here, there's like blog posts, tools, videos, uh, examples. And what's kind of nice about it is it's not just, here's a Python list of using this framework, but it's this framework in a lot of different situations that might be useful to people. So for example, if you want to know how to use it in Django, there's an example, rather a blog post for that. There's one for using Tailwind with Flask. There's one for doing it with, um, somewhere in here, I don't see it yet, but there's a Ruby on Rails one. There's plugins for HTMS, like so if you do craft, which is a CMS, there's Django integration, Rails integration, all kinds of stuff. And there's videos, check out number three here, Python Bytes, HTMX, 
Dynamic and live HTML without JavaScript. That's our YouTube live stream. And we had, I think that was Hannah Stepnick who was on with us on that episode. And so there's some videos you can check out about it. There's also the Talk Python episode where I interviewed Carson Gross, the creator. So they're um, including our stuff, which is very much appreciated. But then also a bunch of examples for like Node.js and ASP.NET and oh my gosh, a Lisp. <laughs> Lisp is in there, but yeah, like plenty of Python ones as well. Wow. Yeah. This is cool. So, and yeah. I actually gave some try using HTMX uh, following uh, one of the podcasts I, I listened to. I don't do a lot of front end, but it was really nice to get rid of some ad hoc JavaScript stuff yeah. I did. It's, you know, just to. It works so well, doesn't it? Oh. Yeah. And I. I really don't. I really don't enjoy doing JavaScript because I'm not a front-end developer. But sometimes I need to provide some kind of a UI interface, and then it requires Java and JavaScript. And then I, yeah. I usually just take some snippets from Stack Overflow and throw it in there. <laughs> and when I, I, I need- tried HTMX, it was so much cleaner. I could understand what's going on there. Very, very mm-hmm. nice. I think I need a sticker for my laptop that says I really don't enjoy using JavaScript. (laughs) So one thing I would like to throw out there that people, when I, uh, I'm doing a talk in San Francisco and people uh, heard the title, which is something like, you know, interactive Python web apps, hold the JavaScript, something like that. And they're like, oh, why are you always hating on JavaScript? I'm not, I don't think that this is so much about hating on JavaScript. If you want to do JavaScript, knock yourself out. You can write, you can, like, so a lot of these examples are Node.js and Express using HTMX. But the three of us on this call, we're not like, I can't wait to run out and write stuff that runs on Node. We'd much rather go write stuff that runs on Python. So exactly. we, what this lets us do is still use, like, Python code on the server, but then it just behaves as if it was running on the front end. It's super smooth, just like y'all said. Like, it really cleans things up and makes it simple. Yeah, so it's, here, yeah. it's not just awesome JavaScript. Stuff. There's a bunch of other languages I don't want to work in either. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, there's not a whole lot more to add to this, but it's nice uh, when these emerging technologies are coming along to get some help and examples and other resources. So thanks, Raj, for putting together this awesome list. Yeah. Well, I can't believe I got this topic. You guys, yeah, anyway. Uh, Python 3.10, wow. so excited. It came out two days ago. Um, I'm loving it. I've switched. Um, I'm I'm using it at work. I'm using it at home. And it's not like it's new. I mean, one of the things, there was an article. Okay, I'll just go through a few topics. One, the logo's awesome. 310, the 310 launch logo. Super cool. Yeah, I love it. I I want a sticker like that. Um, There's a couple videos that I think are good to at least know about. Um, There's the, uh, the launch party. Um, that was that started off with some awesome hats. Uh, they basically actually walked through the entire launch process of going of making three ten live and on 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 camera. It's three hours long though. I only watched a little bit, but uh, great hats. This is cool. They're- yeah. So this is by the people who are actually releasing. It's not a party celebrating the launch. It's the actual launch. Yeah, the actual launch. Uh, which right. Was, that's awesome. Was neat. But um, jo- uh, JetBrains hosted, I think that was a pre-recorded thing, but there was a What's New in Python 310 uh, video that I, this is uh, more more uh, more consumable at 33 minutes. Um, I I, def- I watched this uh, while it was live or while it was 
being broadcast at first, yes, uh, a couple of days ago. And it's really interesting. This this one's really great. I thought I knew everything that was coming in 310. The thing that I really love about this video is um, there's uh, Lucas Langa and um, I can't remember somebody else ha- talked about, do you know who the other person was? That was Sebastian talking? Ramirez and Brant Boucher. Okay. Um, and uh, Lucas uh, talked about some of the it, some of the details on well, a couple of them are talking about the uh, I'm getting this wrong. What's the thing? Uh, the structural pattern matching. That's it. Yes. Uh, um, super super switch. Yeah. So is structural pattern matching? It's gonna. Be, it's really cool. I haven't come up with a reason to use it yet. Um, but um, give me time. But the there was a discussion of why that like a whole a big discussion on this, which was neat. It was a kind of a tutorial right there. And then also a discussion of why black doesn't work for it yet. So that was the odd takeaway that I didn't wasn't expecting is if you're really addicted to black, you can't use structural pattern matching and black together right now. Um, they will catch up, but they're they have two different parsers for Python and getting them all cut up will be uh, it'll take a little time. So be patient. Nice. Oh, yeah, this is so big nice. news. Yeah, that, yeah, that's huge. But I guess <laughs> if you want to use uh, the if you still want to use black, you just need to just uh, do formatting off on the block when you use uh, pattern matching. So you actually have to put it in a different file because you can't. The format off doesn't work in line in the file oh, uh, really? with it. I tried I that thought, and and it didn't work. Interesting. Didn't work. Oh, no. that's a that's a bummer. Okay. <laughs> um, but all the other features of three ten seem to work fine. So. Good. Yeah, very nice. Uh, some of the things that jump out that are exciting for me is X pipe Y versus rather than um, X, you know, union of X comma Y or optional of X versus X comma or X pipe none. Those those are nice. The additional type information and better error messages. Those are the things that I'm looking forward to. Except for I'm not really looking forward to errors. I generally don't like that. But oh. once you're there, I prefer better error messages. I think the everybody better. teaching Python is going to love the error messages. So. Oh, the the error messages are pretty awesome. Just a few days ago, I was uh, refactoring some code and I had some, well, a bit complex expression. It was like nested dict and I needed to do some asserting. And so another parenthesis, and I guess I missed something. And then I would have, I had this error, like expression is expected. And we're like, what expression? It's all right there. And I wasted literally like about three minutes figuring out what expression it's missing. And eventually they end up like I missed some curly brackets. And I really expect, I mean, yeah, pattern matching is great. The, the pipe hinting is awesome. And, but those specific like little things are, I don't know, I think like really bumps your uh, dev experience. So yeah. Yeah, it definitely I'm, does. <laughs> Yep. Speaking of better error messages and stuff, I'm planning on just integrating a rich, like the trace back stuff and all those kinds of yeah. things just into all my apps because it's just better. And it's one line of code at the top. So very nice. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. All right. Good one, Brian. All right, y'all. You're up with uh, the next one. Yeah. So it's a tool I stumbled upon a while ago um, when I was looking for some kind of a solution for... Um, bundling all my all our analysis tools in one, under one umbrella. 
So we have like large code bases and we use uh, microservices so that we have a lot of repositories. And of course, we would like to use some linking. Um, and then we added PyPod style. And then we added another package because we found it pretty useful called Vulture that finds uh, some unused uh, code and points it out that maybe it should be removed or refactored, which is quite Vulture. cool. That yeah. is a fantastic name for that length feature. <laughs> yeah. It goes and finds dead code. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty cool. Okay, sorry, but, I, I just I love the yeah, name. Yeah, that's uh that's one of the latest additions. And then uh, well, because we deal with the, some security and vulnerabilities, we decided also to add bandits to the whole party. Uh, those are really awesome tools, but we started to get a bit frustrated. First of all, each and every tool requires its own configuration file, uh, like profiling, like uh, every linker has its own rules by that style. You want to ignore some stuff, oh, it's kind of, kind of a, requires customization. So we ended up having like four different customization profile files for each tool. And that's okay. I mean, once you've done it, it's okay. But then people start to get really frustrated with their CI because it became a bit slow. Because of the, all the tools run sequentially. So, and even more so, they become a bit frustrated with all the types, all the different outputs. So, let's say you have issues in PyLink and then you have problems with PyCode style. And at first, uh, we didn't, uh, we just started failing. Once, once you have a failure in PyLink, you don't proceed. So, you fix PyLink and then, okay, yay. But then you have errors in PyCode style and so on and so on. So it, was really frustrating. Um, so we said, okay, just okay, it fails, but let's continue and then just uh, speed all the errors once uh, once it's done. But still, people had some issues starting reading the output because it's different format, and they're like, okay, what does it want from me? What what do I do? And you know, and then the whole thing, the whole experience is okay. I finish working on my PR. I just wanna post it and get a review in it, but then I get stuck in this limbo, fixing all this kind of stuff. So we started thinking what can uh, improve the uh, user and the dev, the dev experience so people won't get frustrated with the CI because once people frustrated with the CI, they start uh, disabling features and that's something that we didn't yeah. want. Th then your um, CI starts to lose all its value and everything, right? Exactly, exactly. So I kind of stumbled on uh, Prospector, and I, I say stumbled because it was was always there. It's actually brought by PySecUA, the same the same guys, the same organization that are responsible for PyLink and for PyCorp style. But somehow I missed the whole bundle thing that's called Prospector. I guess it's a bit less popular. So we started using it. Uh, it bundled all our uh, analysis tools together in one run and uh, in one unified output. So it's much easier when you have the output just um, just to read it and understand what's going on. And more than that, uh, some bonuses, we discovered some more tools that it provides that we, didn't, we weren't even familiar with, such as the McCabe complexity analysis, which uh, provides uh, points out some kind of a 
like in case you have a very big uh, function with nested uh, conditions and stuff. Nice. So Is that like have... cyclometric complexity and stuff like that? Exactly. Yes. So there's actually yeah. a link there inside that uh, takes you to Wikipedia and all the and explains how all, th- all those things are calculated, but it's pretty pretty nice. Uh, some you, you cannot always follow it through because sometimes, well, you have a complex function it's in legacy code and you don't necessarily want to mess with it. But it's nice to have this information, or you can put in in a backlog. So that's something we discovered. There's also Pyroma if you're developing packages. So if you have like some missing, let's say, contributor RFC or so it will point out uh, all the stuff there. Um, you have the dodgy uh, package um, that points out if you have like some sensitive data such as passwords or like AWS keys or some things you not necessarily want to include in your code way. So a lot of goodies that... It comes with this uh, prospector that actually bundles a lot of analysis tools, which is cool. But uh, as I said, for us, it really improved our experience because it's one output and one profile configuration, which means instead of having like a, a configuration file for each of the tools, you have only one to rule them all. And more than that, you have profiles. Which means, like, let's say you have uh, at some point you would like to run my type, okay? But in some point you don't want, like, if you are merging to master, maybe you want to check for vulnerabilities at that point, but not on every commit because you're still developing. So, super useful and surprisingly, it runs faster than each tool on its own. I mean, wow. it, it, that, takes, that it takes cool. some time. It takes some time. I mean, it's not a super fast because, uh, first of all, it installs all the required tools for just in one bundle. And the execution is still the same execution for all the tools. But yeah, it really simplifies things. So highly recommended. Cool. Nice. Good recommendation. Uh, yeah. Out in the live stream, Paul Ansel has a question. Not sure if you know the answer. Is there a way to add a comment to your code, for example, hash no prospector, to tell uh, it that a given line is actually not a problem, similar to how Bandit would disable warnings with hash no sec? Um, so prospector is just a bundle. It's um, like behind the scene, it just executes the, the same tool. So you would use the same uh, disable pylint or disable pycode style or no QA. So the, the rules there apply just to each tool differently. Got it. Makes sense. Yep. Cool. All right. Am I up next, Brian? Uh, yes. I think so. Uh, so another topic on Rich. I feel like we're always talking about Rich now. Uh, super fun. Um, I actually just had Will McGugan, who I see out in the audience. Hey, Will, uh, on Talk Python. So that was really fun. So here's a thing from Avi Pearl. Not Avi Python, but you know we'll still accept it. Just kidding. That's just last name. Thank you, Avi, for sending this over and let us know about it. Um, so Hunyan Tran created this cool terminal-based visualizer for Panda's data frames. So she's into data science and stuff like that. And like many things that have to do with rich and UI, just having a, a screen animation is is really all you need to know whether or not this is useful for you. And so you can just go to the website that we'll link to the GitHub repo, and it's got an animated GIF right on the front there. 
super nice. So just imagine you are in a Jupyter notebook and you went to a data frame, you said df.head or tail, something like that, and you get a little table that comes out. Well, here's one with animation and color and all that stuff as a rich table, you know, the rich library <laughs> generating the table of the data frame right there. So if you're creating something in the terminal and you want a nice output for a data frame, this is pretty simple. The code that you got to write is super easy. So for example, you come up with a data frame somehow, and then you just say from rich data frame, in, import prettyfy, and then just prettyfy your data frame, and that's it, done. Like it. So you, yeah, it's cool, right? You can also apply it to just regular dictionaries and stuff like that. And you can control things like limit the number of rows that come back, how many columns will be shown, in this case there's a ton. Uh, you don't want it to fill the screen. Of course, you can transform your data frame, but if you just want a quick, like, hey, just show me the first few columns, it, it'll do that. Uh, you can either view the head or the tail effectively. You know, if you're going to say, give me 20 columns, there's 2,000. Well, I think that by default, it shows the first, the head, but you can also show it in reverse. You can clear the console so it just fills the screen, things like that. So even uh, control the animation. So not a lot to do with this, but if it's useful to you, I think... I mean, like not a lot of gears and, and ways to use it, but I think if it's useful to you, you'll really find it uh, interesting. Yeah, all those pretty colors, I like it. Yeah, 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 I love the colors. <laughs> so, super well, cool. So Rich Rich has a ton of stuff in it, but the ta I mean, I use the tables like all over the place because it's just the easiest and prettiest way to display a table right now in, in a CLI application. So Awesome. Uh, I like it. Love them. Love it, love it. Raw into out in the live stream says, well, Rich for the win once again looks great for SSH session. Yes, it does. And I hadn't really even thought about it for that scenario, but yeah, it definitely yeah, does. Definitely. And, and Jared um, says uh, to us, Brian and me, I can't thank you enough for all your podcasts uh, as they as great as they are. The video format is even better. Yeah, Jared, thanks for being here. We always love having people on the show. It, it gives us a little bit more interactive aspect for all the people listening afterwards. Yeah. Of that, Brian, definitely. go for it. So yeah, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to three ten for now. So <laughs> I'm like excited. One of the things I'm excited about is the union types, like you said. For uh, uh, one of the the things that was released is um, union types, uh, so that you can do X or Y. The thing that I really like about this, one of the things is the optional. So you can instead of so if you've got I don't have an example here, but if you've got uh, you got a, a function that takes uh, an integer, but it might default to none. You can now say uh, that the type is uh, int or none, and then assign it the default value of none. So it'd be int or none equal none. Um, and that's and it's really clean. One of the nice things about that is you don't have to import optional from typing. So that's really clean. But I was uh, I was like bummed because actually a lot of the projects I work on. I have to support more than just 310. I've got to support 37, 38. What? You haven't already so moved to 310? You guys are well, such I'm, laggards. <laughs> the stuff that, uh, like, it's my application. But for that two days, Come if on. you're if you're supporting Python packages, you want to support more than just one version of Python, right? A little bit. I mean, you don't have to. No, but of if course. You, if if you want to, uh, and so then I was excited to to see that Adam Johnson put out. And I, I was actually, I want to shout out who told me about this. Um, oh, I lost it. Somebody else told me about this. Uh, so sorry. But Adam Johnson wrote an article about uh, type hints, how to upgrade syntax with PyUpgrade. So uh, Anthony uh, Sotili 
wrote a Pi upgrade uh, tool. And what it'll do is it does a lot of stuff, but one of the things it does is it changes this um, this union operator or this yeah for uh, for types, and it includes um, what does it include the uh, from future import annotations that will allow you to use this um, this this type union types and none uh, in everything back to Python three seven. So very nice. Supposedly, I haven't tried it on three seven, but that's the that's the claim. Um, so there's a very cool. there's Nice article on how to upgrade your syntax. Um, and this is a I, tool, like an automatic tool you just run? Yeah, it's a Pi Upgrade. Uh, yeah. So. Cool. Very nice. Frederick out in the live stream says the Union Pipe really makes everything a lot less noisy and more readable. Love it. Yes. Yeah, so what are you going to offer? What are you going to suggest? Um, like, oh, the next topic, you mean? Oh yeah, yeah, sure. Um, oh, oh, I actually wanted to uh, just, I, just say, a comment on that. I thought you were going to have a comment on yeah, that. Yeah, I the, actually Brian's have on. a little comment because I really like the Pi uh, upgrade stuff because I kind of feel that lately we have. I I, I enjoy type annotations, but like with each version, we have like a little bit of change, and then you have to comply yeah. to the previous one, and then like I w- what I would love to see is like some kind of a convention on how to do type hinting correctly because there are so many versions and well because i'm a bit lazy i i don't always use type annotations but i know i should and then i use uh, some kind of a, i use the uh, tools like monkey type and sometimes the uh, pi annotate so they just uh, add uh, type annotations uh, during runtime um and then i then it's a kind of a, I, I, then I kind of have some kind of a convention there because I feel like with type annotation, you can do it in so many ways. So yeah, maybe it's a little the, bit like string formatting. Exactly. But eventually we all, I think we can all agree that F strings is the way to go, right? But yes. so right now we're kind of in a wild, wild west with type annotation because we have those, uh, since, uh, I think, three. Point five, three, three point three, I yeah. think. And but they all, the, but they are evolving. Like each new Python version, it has something new, and then the old becomes obsolete or frowned upon. And then you, know, oh, you shouldn't do it like that. But what I would like to see, maybe a tool such as the Pi Upgrade that will tell me, okay, this is the convention. This is how yeah. you do. You should be doing your type on, type hinting from now on. It's a good idea. Yeah, we saw you're doing the old way. Here's the new way. Do that. Yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm a bit confused. I'm a bit very, and I'm lazy and I'm confused. <laughs> not entirely. <laughs> it's not a built-in feature still. Like you're using type annotation. I see a lot of Python installs just going for them, and for me, it's like okay, I'll write my code and then okay, I'll start using some type painting. And yeah. yeah, sounds good. Yeah, I think Pi Upgrade is the trick. So it does do a yeah. lot of these, like the going from uppercase list to lowercase list and switching away from optional and uh, things like that. So I may be running this later today. This is looking good. <laughs> well, some kind of a type on type hinting the formatter just make it like it should be. That's uh, that's yeah. what I would like to see. Yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> Brian, you know what time it is? Extra time. Extra time. You got anything you want to put up there? Throw out to uh, people? Um, yeah, actually, I don't have any links for it, but um, I should have had links up. Uh, but I was, uh, this is 
hard for me to believe actually, but um, in like 2017, a long time ago, 2017, 2018, I uh, submitted a, a, defect to PyTest, the PyTest project, and then I also uh, wrote up a, a test to describe the defect, but I didn't know how to fix it. So that was my first contribution to PyTest is adding test code. Uh, but um, this last week, I a- or added two, had two pull requests, and, um, and they both got accepted and merged. So the next awesome. version of PyTest wow. will actually have my code in it. So super cool. It's kind of fun. Very cool. Hey, I just realized we skipped Yal's final thing. Oh, Darker. right. Oh no. Yeah. So, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, tell us about okay. that before we get to the rest of the extras. That's uh, that's sorry. fine. That's fine. <laughs> um, so yeah. I feel like you've got these these um these cool ways to like bring together multiple tools instead of telling people about Bandit. You're like, here's how to use Bandit. All these things, or instead of Black, <laughs> here's how to like do all these different things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I kind of like combining things and then make it more general. Because I mean, the Python ecosystem is so rich. There are so many things. Um, yeah. So it's nice to bring some stuff together, bundled and easy to use. Uh, so Darker is something also I stumbled, well, I was recommended by a friend after I, after describing um, a problem or my resentment even to black formatter. But, uh, I know it's not a popular, uh, Popular take, and uh, maybe I shouldn't say it, but until recently, I was quite well. It's probably I don't enjoy black formatting. I think it looks great, it's more readable, it's nice. But I had some major issues with, well, with myself and colleagues that we can get sometimes over enthusiastic. Like, okay, I start to write some code, and I don't know, it's a bug fix or I'm adding some feature. And I'm done. But then, yay, I want to make it black because it's cool. And then I run black on the model or sometimes if I really want to go wild, I'll run it on the entire package. And then I submit my PR and my PR, um, well, it includes the single bug fix or the little line I've added for the functionality or the fixing. And then I have like, one, I don't know, some hundred changed files because I ran black. Or even if it's in the model, like the whole model looks like brand new. And then if I have to review such code, I would say, okay, but where do I start? Where do I begin? Because I don't know what. All right. Why, what why are there so many by... changes, right? Uh, yeah. And it became a real issue because on one hand, there are a lot of developers that were really like into black, let's everything, let's make everything black, let's make, let's make everything beautiful. And on the other hand, we would get those huge PRs uh, like, okay, where do I start? Where do I even start? Um, so we started restricting black. We, started, we at some point, we, as a group, we decided, okay, no more black. But that was also very frustrating. And then I, I had some talks about with a friend of mine and say, okay, and you should use darker. And the darker is a really tiny, it's not a big package. It's a very lightweight. And what it does, it takes a, a, a little bit more conservative approach. It doesn't say, okay, just black everything and have a huge PR. It says, okay, you want you to have a, to convert your code being beautiful and black, but let's make it gradually. And uh, then you have 
And then you eliminate this huge PR and this huge mess. Just uh, change the stuff you need. Run Docker just on the file or even on the entire code base. And then it will format only the changes you made in the file. Okay, so hmm. here's, I think, oh, let's see, a nice yeah, example that's cool. here. I love that it runs on the last Git changes. Exactly. Right? It's it, actually that. It's, it's very simple. I, I can't believe no one thought of it before. Like, uh, so simple. Because what it does, it just does uh, Git diff gets the uh, changes and then just runs black formatting all those changes and then you have a normal looking pr with with nice formatting and yeah you won't get uh, the whole beautiful uh, black all-in-one and you'll make it gradually but eventually i think it's more control more more constrained and i think it's better this way and we started using yeah. it a couple of months ago and i think it, it has a good progress and we just integrated it into our pre-commit hooks. So it's kind of seamless. It's not that you need to remember running black. Of course, you can also integrate it in PyCharm or yes code. I think you know, even Vim for people who are fond of Vim and stuff. I think it has some kind of a plugin <laughs> I, as well. I don't know who would do that. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> who are those people? <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So it's simple. Yeah. It's organized uh, and uh, made by, oh, I hope I'll get the name right. It's Anti, Anti Cahoyla. Yes. I hope I didn't Yeah, the awesome. Name. I think this is great. Yeah. Uh, Paul yeah. out in the audience has an interesting bit of feedback. This would be super helpful if you're starting to enforce code standards on an already existent repo, which is most kind of code he works right. with. So, yeah. Yeah. If you're starting like new project, so yeah, black it all the way. That's fine. But uh, yeah, I've heard recommendations. Be I've heard recommendations before to just have one commit that just does the black thing. But one of the problems with that is you lose sort of the history of when the yeah. file really was last modified. So if a file hasn't been touched in two years, it's kind of nice to leave it as not okay. touched for two years, um, so that you can you know kind of see the history. But yeah, yeah. Because sure. if you yeah, if you run black and uh, on a five-year-old call base, it would look it would look like you did it all from the beginning. <laughs> yeah. On the <laughs> other so hand, if you want to up your commit status, number of lines changed way more than the rest of the team. You can always do that. Yeah, yeah, you could. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I, I know y'all. You have a couple of things that you want to give a shout out to at the end here as well. So uh, let's just keep going um, with those. Yeah, sure. Um, so um, I have two things. The first one is actually a colleague of mine, and he's been writing a book, a very interesting book, uh, a bit of a controversial book, if you dive into it. Uh, he basically says uh, uh, object-oriented, it's good for some, but uh, in general, when you deal with complex problems, the uh, Object-oriented programming might even make it make stuff a lot more complicated in terms of debugging, in terms of the uh, separation of concerns. And then he presents some kind of a new way to deal with the data and how we process data. So it's uh, 
data data oriented programming. Uh, I I have to admit I read some of the chapters, not all. I didn't finish the book. It's still it's almost still work in progress, but most of it completed. But and you can, you don't have to agree on everything, but the whole approach is um, the, com- the combination of uh, da- data oriented programming with functional programming. I think there's some benefits to it, and uh, some complex problems can be solved faster and easier and with less debugging strain. And like for me, like I have this rule of thumb that if I have to activate debugger over and over again to understand what the code does instead of just reading the code, it means that something with the code is not 100% right. Okay. Because the code should be readable. And I encounter those issues when working with very heavy object-oriented uh, code bases and uh, like a lot of inheritance and multi-inheritance. And then I went to Django and they use mixins. It is hard. It is hard to design. It is hard to, but mostly it is hard to read. And this approach, it's interesting. As I said, I'm not fully like, oh, I'm not fully agreeing that, okay, uh, object-oriented should be gone from the world. It's not it's not my stand, but I think no, but some people I think, have made that stand, but it still it still is around, isn't it? Yeah, but I'm not I, I I'm not completely on board with that. But I think in some in some cases there are approaches that are much more lightweight in the and the whole thing with data versus cold separation. I think it yeah I think it's nice. I think it's uh, and nice. it's kind of. Um, yeah, it kind of changes, rewires your brain a bit after you read a chapter or two, like makes you. Yeah, maybe it's one of those things like functional programming. You don't necessarily do it all the time, but you read it and it gives you a, a different perspective, even if you don't totally adopt it. Yeah, exactly. That's a good thing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And right. a, yeah, a little bit self-promotion here. Um, so a few months ago, I released my first open source project, uh, Cornell, uh, was actually covered uh, by Brian, uh, I think, uh, two months ago. Yeah. 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 So I just wanted to do a little shout out to all the developers out there who are looking to contribute to a little bit nice, with a very nice documentation uh, um, project. It's only the beginning. Uh, what it does is uh, it's actually a record and a replay server for uh, for mock. It's a mock server that uh, records the real data and then can be used as part of the CI and uh, for for purposes for end-to-end testing. Because like if you have uh, some kind of an entry point that starts a cascade of events, including salary or whatever, and just then the eventually you reach the part when you go out and send an HTTP request. So here Cornell comes in handy. We use it quite a lot um, in my previous company, and I'm trying to now... Uh, integrated in my current uh, workplace and I think it has some potential and I would cool. and it's and it's not very mature so I would love like really if someone wants to contribute even a typo or documentation or whatever we really warmly welcome all contributions so it's great yeah that's great 
Uh, Brian cool. asked me on that episode where I thought the name came from. And I thought Chris Cornell from Soundgarden and all that. Is, is that correct? Black well, Hole Sun and all those things. Well, you see the face. What the face reminds yes. you of. <laughs> yeah, it does now. I didn't. I don't think I saw paid attention to that before. But yeah, now that I yeah, so I see it, I'm, a, I'm more confident in my answer. Yeah, you are correct, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> right on, right on. All right. Well, I got a few more extras to share with the world. Uh, let's see. I just like literally midnight last night released a new course: HTMX plus Flask, modern web apps Ooh. hold the JavaScript. So this is a three-hour course that like dives into uh, cool ways of putting HTMX and Flask together. And it also brings together some of the other things we've talked about on the podcast before. Like when I was creating this course, I didn't really like the way that you would reuse HTML. I have a lot of duplication and other crummy stuff. So I created the Jinja partials and Chameleon partials projects to make this code better. But anyone who uses HTMX with Jinja or Chameleon should definitely check those out. That's covered in the course. There's also just links to it. Uh, course does cost money, but you can go and get the GitHub repo and check out the, the stuff there. So that's really cool. We built like a really fun little app there and add a bunch of HTMX things to it. So link in the show notes, check that out. Yeah. Uh, auto optional, we've got an update, uh, an update from Dan. So um, Brian, did you cover this? I covered this last time, I think. Thanks. But the update is, yeah, we were talking about um, having, so it'll go and do auto optional stuff where if you say something is like, x colon int equals none as a default value, it goes, no, 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 that doesn't make sense. So it'll create an optional of int automatically and correct the, the typing. Uh, but we made the comment, Brian, I think maybe you did, I can't remember who, but said, oh, it'd be really cool if we could use the pipe syntax that we just talked about earlier. So auto optional has been updated to create x pipe none instead of optional of x, which is nice. really cool. Yeah. Sweet. I love it. I love how the podcast helps uh, bring some of this feedback to the world. Change the world. <laughs> That's right. We have made a dent in the universe, Brian, and it is X pipe none. Okay. Uh, coverage, Ned Batchelder just released coverage uh, on Monday. So coverage yeah. six, which is a major reason. Python 2 has been expelled from coverage, which is all good. And 30 third-party packages are automatically ignored, which could be a big change for some people. All right. A bunch of other stuff. You can check it out if you care a lot. Django 328 is out with a couple of bug fixes about read-only fields and admin and some regression bug um, going on. So check that out as well. Sweet. Yep. Well, I guess this might be a time for a joke. Shall we finish it with a joke? Yes. As we often yeah. do. All right. Going back to the very reliable geek and poke here, we have paired captcha, as in recaptcha, you know, the little pop-up oh. and you get the different panels. You got to say like, click all of the crosswalks or click all of the dogs or whatever all right brian um let's 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 do this together like last time i'll i'll do the uh the first one the the woman developer or, or just computer user <laughs> trying to get through this so is this a traffic light or just a light no idea i guess uh i guess it would i would guess a traffic light nope <laughs> <laughs> does the gray pixel in the corner also belong to the street sign <laughs> and on and on it goes. Uh, a, a sad statement on our <laughs> our digital existence. There's yeah. been some where I'm stumped. I'm like, I don't know. Uh, I know. Next, next oh. question, please. <laughs> Sometimes exactly. I just roll three times in a row. It's so embarrassing. Am I? Am I, I a machine? <laughs> <laughs> 
I couldn't find all the mountains. Yeah. The worst is when you find all the stuff correctly, then it refreshes and go find some more of them. You're like, I just found them all. Why are you doing this to me? You seem like you like to find traffic lights. Here, have some more. <laughs> you looked bored. We got some more lights for you. Uh, all right. Yeah, well, that's cool. the joke I, I brought for you all. Well, thanks. Um, and yeah. I appreciate you finding them. That's uh, it's cool. So thanks a lot, everybody. Um, and we'll wrap it up for today. And thanks, everybody, on the, the stream for joining us. And we really yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. Y'all, thank you especially for being here. Yeah, was really fun. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Python Bytes. Follow the show on Twitter via at Python Bytes. That's Python Bytes as in B-Y-T-E-S. Get the full show notes over at pythonbytes.fm. If you have a news item we should cover, just visit pythonbytes.fm and click submit in the nav bar. We're always on the lookout for sharing something cool. If you want to join us for the live recording, just visit the website and click live stream to get notified of when our next episode goes live. That's usually happening at noon Pacific on Wednesdays over at YouTube. On behalf of myself and Brian Aachen, this is Michael Kennedy. Thank you for listening and sharing this podcast with your friends and colleagues.